it's important to have a portfolio that cash flows and is generating a surplus income. But even if that's the case, the lenders do not use 100% of that income. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest with me, Sarah Larby. I'm super excited to have you back. Today's show, I have Dahlia Barsoom, who is and continues to be an incredible part of my team. She's helped me scale my portfolio, still helping me, still helping me qualify for my own investments. And, uh, and to be honest, without her, I don't actually think I would be where I am today. Like, of course, I am prone to taking action. And there's other team members that have helped me tremendously. But she's one of the critical people that have really worked with me ongoing, planning ahead, to be able to help me reach my goals where I'm at the point where our last meeting, we were looking at the income from my portfolio. And like, I think I'm pretty much where I, I need to be in order to say that I, I can be free. And so it is like a really great feeling to be where the goal, I mean, and the goals can change over time, but like the goal that I had that I still have, essentially I'm at a different spot where now I can start thinking of other things, right? So the growth mode that I was doing, maybe I'll still buy some more property, but I think at this point in time, I'm, I'm really looking at now paying down the mortgages and, and creating that cash flow on, on properties that are paid off in full. So when you first start, you're in growth mode and then you essentially get to your, your income goal and then you start paying that down. So it is really cool because I only really started in 2013. So really, you know, like if I look back at it, I'm like, it really flew by. <laughs> the sacrifices in the beginning were definitely well worth it. But I, uh, I wanted to share that with you guys. And Dahlia and I are actually going to be doing a webinar on February the 16th. So if you're listening to this in early February, register, which is sarahlarby.com forward slash webinar. And then Dahlia will be answering some awesome questions that I had for her that many investors might ask as well, or might want to know about how to scale your portfolio and which lenders to go to and which ones to go to first, all your financing questions. And if you're listening to this and you have any specific financing questions, please email them to me at sarah at sarahlarby.com. And uh, we're going to incorporate some of those into the webinar. And I think it's important for, for everybody to have a mortgage broker on their team because no offense to the banks, but a mortgage broker works for you. The banks work for the banks, let's face it, right? The person that's behind the desk probably makes 40, 50 grand at the most. And you're, you know, they're not, they're not the ones that are really going to be able to help you grow. Now that's not to say that somebody that's, you know, only making 40 or 50 grand can't help you, but their job, like they're employees of a bank while a mortgage broker most likely the good ones that are really investor focused probably have a portfolio of their own. So Dahlia definitely does. And I think that's really important because to get one, two, three properties, I mean, you have a T4 income, you have a job nine to five, or even if you're self-employed and you show enough income on your tax returns, you're probably going to be able to get to one, two or three properties fairly easily. It's just afterwards. Afterwards, it's very strategic. And uh, I was getting capped at like three. They wanted like crazy amounts of down payment and I wouldn't have been able to scale up this fast if it wasn't for rethinking that process and saying, is the bank directly going to the bank necessarily the best scenario? And for me, it wasn't. So super excited to share this episode with you of the podcast and also Please, if you want to learn more, this is a free webinar. We're going to be on for an hour answering a bunch of real estate investing questions from a financing point of view. So sign up for and, and register for that webinar. It's going to be super exciting. And also check out my website. I've got some new programs starting. The Burr course, the second cohort is starting February 15th. So if you guys are interested in burring your way to wealth by doing the buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeats method, feel free to contact me for that. And I can definitely give you some more information. So on that note, guys, enjoy the podcast. And I hope to see you live as well on the webinar on February 16th at 7 p.m. 
See you soon and enjoy this podcast. Dahlia, welcome back to the podcast. Super excited to have you on again, a second returning. Actually, you're the first returning guest I think we've ever had on the show. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. I'm excited. And for those of you that have been listening, you probably know Dahlia and I have worked together for many, many years. She's the one that helped me scale my portfolio and got me to where I am today. So I, uh, I, I love to ask you tons of questions and, uh, and just figure out what's going on right now in the financing world. So are you, are you ready? I am. Awesome. So one of the things I preach a lot about is to get a really solid team in place so that you can still work a full-time job and you can still do a lot of things by hiring the right people that are going to be experts in those fields. And to me, you're that expert in that field. But one of the things I do preach a lot about is making sure that they're investor friendly, people that work with investors, whatever they are, whether it's a lawyer, a tax accountant, mortgage broker, but also investors themselves. And you have a portfolio yourself. Yes, I do. Do you want me to go over my portfolio at a high level? Yeah, just a high level overview. Sure, with the audience, sure. Yeah, so I uh, basically started in Barrie in 2007 slash 2008. It's still one of the top areas in terms of uh, what's happening in that area from an economics fundamentals. And I focused on Southwest Barrie and acquired several townhouses and semi-detached at the time. And I'm still invested in Barrie, but I started to shift focus on strategy to duplexing and legalization of secondary suites because the, the prices have gone up and the numbers no longer make sense just owning a small townhouse. So I do have a portfolio in Barrie, primarily in Southwest Barrie. And I also got into Vaughan at the area at uh, Highway 7 and Jane when there was talk in the early days about Vaughan Mills coming out and the subway station you know, being built. So I did also acquire three townhouses in that uh, intersection, which have um, appreciated incredibly well over time now that Vaughn Mills is here and the subway is here and there is connect, like you could take the subway to downtown. So that's currently my portfolio, primarily in Barry and Vaughn, made out of uh, semi-detached townhouses, duplexes, and I am now looking at doing the birth strategy in Toronto. So I, as we speak, I'm in the process of putting offers on Toronto properties to renovate them and increase the gross rental income, push the value up, and then turn around and refinance. So that's my real estate portfolio from a strategy standpoint and an area standpoint. And then, of course, as a mortgage broker, I supplement with private money. Oh, very cool. So just out of curiosity, so a lot of people are thinking, hmm, Toronto, that's really expensive. What are you burring out there? Are you burring single families, multifamily, and what's the strategy? Yeah, so my strategy is to buy properties at prime location that are, you know, high park or with close uh, proximity to the subway stations. They are typically run down. I finance the deal with private money going in. So some of the numbers may scare people, but it actually works. So you go in at a private at, let's say, anywhere from 8 to 10% interest only. You buy them at around the million dollar mark. So your down payment is anywhere from 25%, typically 25%. And then you're going to have to put significant amount of money into a renovation, which is around two to 250 in Toronto. But what I end up with is a property that I can turn around and refinance, extract almost all of my renovation capital out because it's Toronto. And then uh, these are single family homes. Some of them, I look for the duplexes. I look for things that have duplexes, but have the potential to add two more units. So basically we uh, create three or four units per property. And we push the gross rental income up to $6,500 to $7,000 gross. Okay. And now are you self-managing these as well? No. Yeah. I don't have time to manage my properties. So I rely on um, experts in everything I do from, you know, the property manager to the contractor to the realtor who knows the areas inside out. But I, I know obviously the financing part. So that, that helps Absolutely. So just out of curiosity, because sometimes I get emails saying, you know, I'm having a hard time getting started. I can't find the money or I can't find the financing. In your opinion, is it harder to find money or financing and why? Is it harder to get a mortgage or find capital for down payment? Okay. So here's the thing. Financing is about connecting with the right 
professionals that understand what's available to you as an investor and understand your strategy and can help you line up the proper mortgage. Okay. So in my view, you can get your financing answer covered by connecting with connecting with the right professional. Now down payment is a different story. Down payment for a property can come from different sources, can come from equity. A lot of investors don't think about recycling equity in their properties, but it, it can actually come from equity. It's the biggest fuel for growth if used smartly. So again, this is where a professional can help. Second source is savings. We can all sit around and save money. It takes forever. And I, you know, if you have cash, great, but if you don't have cash, in my view, it's not a showstopper because the third source of cash is other people's money. And that's where joint ventures come in and working with others to join forces with you comes in. So how difficult it is, I really believe it's all about mindset. Okay. I don't believe, I believe that if you create barriers in your mind about whether or not it's possible, then you tell yourself you can't, then you can't. You tell yourself you can, then you can't. So I wouldn't say it's difficult. You can find the money if you gain the knowledge, surround yourself with the right professionals and take action in the right direction. You'll find the money. Financing and mortgages, talk to the right professional. Yeah. And I started with my first property. When I purchased my first property in Barrie, it was actually a joint venture with no money out of my pocket. Absolutely. You know, I, I do believe that money is easier to find than most people think. And financing, exactly. doing it right from the start actually helps you be able to do more than just one or two or five properties. Actually, true or false? Because I get this a lot. I can only qualify for five properties. Is that true or false? And why do people think that? That is false. Okay. Everything is relative. So here is the thing. Let's talk about two things. Planning, first of all, is key. Key, key, key in financing. I'll give you an example of a recent deal that I did where planning would have been phenomenal to get the clients a better deal. So clients came to us. They, it's a two people, a client and his JV partner. They went and they are into the birth strategy by renovate refinance. They purchased a property in Hamilton. They chose to put one of the partners on the deal. Didn't think through their exit strategy on how they're going to refinance it. But they knew going into the deal what it's going to be worth and they know they're going to make money. They just assume that the person who's entitled is going to actually qualify. Now they're done the project. They come to us and they say, Dahlia, okay, we want to refinance this thing. And here is our analysis sheet that shows that we're going to be able to take this much out at this rate and uh, let's get it done. I say, okay, let me take a look. Actually, the person who is on title does not qualify at all at the terms they predicted. And it was an expensive exercise to rejuggle title to bring the numbers back into the A lender guidelines. Okay, so that has cost them money to restructure in order to get this deal done the way they initially envisioned it done. Had they planned up front going into the deal, who who's going to go on title? How would financing look like on exit? They would have saved $15,000. That's a lot of money just to throw out. That's a lot of money. Okay, so that's the power of planning. So that's your first question. The second question you asked me, the five or more properties. So the, the simple answer is many banks will, if you qualify with the bank, many banks would stop at five. And it's not five properties that are financed with them, but... In their guidelines, they say, we'll only look at the deal if the client owns a maximum of five rentals and a residence or a maximum of five properties for rentals and a residence, okay? So a lot of the banks are like that, but that doesn't mean that there aren't banks that go beyond the five. We're able to finance portfolios with A lenders up to, I would say, nine to 12 properties with A lenders, okay? It's just about figuring out where where you go. And then past these A lenders, you can still keep a portfolio going with other types of lenders. Yes, your cost of capital is going to be a little bit more expensive. Maybe you have to put a little, a little bit more down payment or your interest rate starts to increase. But hey, you've got another 20 to go in that category before we even start to get into you know commercial financing. So it really boils down to who are you talking to? I have clients that come my way and say, I talked to my bank and the bank said I've maxed out. Now, what do I do? And I say, you've maxed out only with that bank. It doesn't mean that you've maxed out with everybody else. Absolutely. And I mean, so the five is relative. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 
like I'm a perfect example, right? You've helped me and I have more than five at this point. So, and, and you know, the fun exactly. thing is that you can keep going and just, you got to just look at different lenders. And that's the biggest piece. I think the biggest benefit of working with you, a mortgage broker that has the connections because it's not only about the banks. Like a lot of, I think a lot of newer investors just say, Oh, well, I went to the bank and they said, I'm not qualified for it. Or I can only do this amount. Yeah. But that's why you don't go to the bank. Do you remember when we first met and you had to like yes. untangle my, my mess? Cause I ended up going to a bank and then they were asking for like 25% down and then 35% down. And I'm like, what is this? And they were just not that investor friendly and you had to untangle it much easier if you do it right from the start. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. And as an investor, you don't really see what's beneath the iceberg. You don't know the lender guidelines. You don't know what the lenders are looking for. So you can go and talk to every bank, but it doesn't mean that you you will burn your credit on the way doing it that way. So I don't recommend it. But you don't know what's beneath the service in terms of how they run the numbers, how they qualify the deals. And this is where a mortgage broker with the connections, connections to investor-friendly lenders and knowing and, and someone who knows the guidelines is would be in my view, a, a big asset. Absolutely. Now as a mortgage broker, do you also have access to private money? Like, are there people that come to you and say, I have money Absolutely. to lend out or loan out? And how does that work? So we have access to private money um, simply because the lending guidelines are tougher. And also with real estate investors, sometimes you need private money as a stepping stone to getting something done. So for example, you buy a property that is run down and you need more than the 75% that the lenders are willing to lend you, you could utilize private money or you need some capital to renovate. That's where private money comes in. Uh, you're self-employed and you are not paying yourself enough from your business to qualify with some lenders. You may need private money temporarily to get a deal done until you file your taxes or we help you plan your income. So yes, we do private mortgages, first and second mortgages for investors and on the flip side, we have clients who would like to lend money. So we help them also lend, whether through registered funds or, you know, line of credits or cash. And we structure everything from beginning to end from, you know, doing third party appraisals, showing all, doing all diligence on the, on the borrowers, help the, helping them price the deal, drafting the mortgage agreement, closing the file with the lawyer. And then also helping the lender understand how they're going to exit the deal. Because I, I tell investors, it's not about getting lending money and private mortgages and doing a 12 to 14% return. It's about understanding how you're going to exit the deal. Entering the deal is very easy. There's so much private money. There are so many deals. You can enter a deal. The question is, how are you going to exit the deal? How are you going to get that money back when the 12 months is up? And if the, if the broker is just, you know, tagging private money on properties to get the current deal done without thinking what the implications are going to be in 12 months from now, then that's not a good situation to be in. The borrower will be at a, you know, at a spot where they don't know how to get rid of the expensive loan and potentially default and the lender may lose money. So it's really, really important for everybody that's using private money to understand what their exit strategy is, whether you're borrowing it as an investor or whether you're lending it as a lender. Yeah, absolutely. Exit strategies are super important, even with joint ventures. I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but joint venture agreements have an exit strategy in place, even if you're not using private money, because at some point absolutely. there is going to be an exit. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's just say, for example, you know, somebody is looking at getting another property do you think that a lot of the lenders out there will look at your current portfolio and, and what do they need to see from that current portfolio? So what I'm asking for, so for example, how important is it that your portfolio cash flows? It's important to have a portfolio that cash flows and is generating a surplus income. But even if that's the case, the lenders do not use 100% of that income the lenders use anywhere from 50 to about 80% of that income. So you always want to make sure that you're in the positive to start. But the reality is the lenders are always going to slash that rental income in their calculation and use a percentage. All I can tell you is how important it is. It is important because it reduces any adverse impact on the numbers. But does it mean that your deal wouldn't work if you're in the negative zone? No, it, it doesn't mean that. 
it depends at, it depends on how you qualify at what point in your portfolio um, you qualify. I can tell you though that as you grow, if you have a really large portfolio, if you're in the positive, it helps you because because the lenders that we use towards who work with larger portfolios would use a larger percentage of the rental income. So it, it does help you when you have a large portfolio. When you say large, when you're starting, when you're starting out, when you're starting out, it's it it helps, but it's not going to kill your deal per se if you have a negative cash flow property. But if your entire portfolio is negative cash flow, that's a different story. No, <laughs> it's not going to work anyway. Right, absolutely. So that all makes sense. What do you, what are you seeing now? Like you're obviously the lending and the regulations, they seem to be getting a little bit more difficult to, to maneuver through, but obviously right now we're at the end of October, you know, we're going into November, but what are you seeing out there in terms of ha- what's happening in the market? Well, um, I'm finding that the dust has settled this year compared to 2018, where there was so much change for everybody after the, the stress test kicked in. So I wouldn't say that the lending environment has eased up. It's pretty much the same since 2018. It's just that everybody has adjusted in a way to the new norms of doing business, uh, more paperwork. Things take a little bit longer with the lenders also to review because you know, the deals are harder to work with, but investors are still growing and, you know, we're still financing deals. So it's still pretty much the same environment and, but it's, everybody's just adjusted to the new norm. Okay. And I think it's not going to get easier. If, if, if you, if you if you want the, if you want an inclusive answer as to whether or not it's going to be better, I, I don't think it's going to get any easier. Okay. So the other thing too that I remember is like about six to nine months ago, it was it was maybe Scotia or CIBC, anyways, one of them said that whatever you have on your HELOC, even though it's not used, they add that into the calculation. Is that the case? And what are right. you seeing in terms of uh, effects from that? So some lenders are using that methodology, but it's not going to be applicable to everybody. Okay, so TD is using it. RBC is using it. CIBC started using it. The rest of the lenders um, are not there yet. And based on my discussions with some of the senior executives, they didn't say that it's going to come into effect anytime soon. Definitely uh, with the lenders who are using that methodology, they're killing deals because investors line up capital to invest. And if the lender is going to use the limit into their calculation versus the balance, that could be a huge number. So we're coaching investors on a case-by-case basis as to whether or not it makes sense to set up a line of credit that is big enough upfront or to actually set, um, set something smaller and then later increase it. It's really on a case-by-case basis. We don't want an investor to get stuck later down the road. Once they grow their portfolio, they can go back and extract equity. We don't want to get into that situation. But by the same token, we don't want an investor to lock out of property financing because they've set up a huge line of credit upfront. So it's really on a case-by-case basis, depending on where the portfolio is. Okay. All right. Thanks for that answer. I have another another question as well I, I get a lot is if for whatever reason, midway through, you want to exit a JV partnership and one person agrees to leave in that JV partnership, how does the financing work? Does that person that wants to stay and keep that property, should they decide to keep it, do they have to requalify for their own financing or not? Of course. Of course, they have to qualify for their own financing. This exiting a JV from a financing standpoint could be done in two ways. Sometimes we do it as something called a refinance title transfer, okay? And sometimes we do it as a a complete buyout. In that case, there has to be a purchase and sales agreement in place between the partners. But in either case, the person who's going to continue to be on title has to qualify to take over the property and have to show the lender, you know, if, if it's a purchase, they have to show the lender where is their money coming from to purchase their JV partner's share. Okay. All right. Got it. I mean, I'm sure that happens a lot at some point when one person wants to keep a property, one person doesn't, and the joint venture partners have to agree on that piece. So definitely look at different exit strategies. And sometimes the exit strategy doesn't work and you have to sell, right? Because one person cannot. That's right. That's right. So when you have somebody that has a really large portfolio and 
or they want to get into commercial financing. I mean, there's definitely a little bit of a difference between residential financing and commercial financing. How would you explain the difference? Okay, so the difference is simple. With residential financing, you personally qualify based on your income and debts. And of course, the lenders are going to take rental income into the calculation to see what you qualify for. So that applies to properties that have one unit, two units, three units, four units. And in fact, in some cases, we're able to do five plexes and six plexes as residential as well. So they could fall in that category. Once you cross into the commercial space, the lenders look at the portfolio's ability to carry the loan or the property's ability to carry the loan. So based on the income minus what's called normalized expenses. So what is a normalized expense? A normalized expense means you could be a self, an investor who's self-managing your portfolio, right? So there is no property management right. involved. On the commercial side, they'll say, you know what? Good for you. This is great. But in reality, property manage- management costs 5% of the effective gross rent. So what they would do is they would take the rental income, subtract property management, adjust for any vacancies, adjust for some admin expenses. And that's what they call the normalized income. So they then say, okay, what would this income support in terms of a mortgage? You as an investor is still is still important. They want to see that you've got some net worth and good credit, but they're actually not, not using your income or debts anywhere in the calculation. That's the majority of the commercial lenders. It's the property that qualifies. And we've done commercial deals or multi-residential deals for investors with zero income. Why? Because the property qualifies. But on the residential side, if you're buying a small house or one to four units, or if you have a small portfolio that is not looked at as in the commercial world, you personally have to show how you're going to service that loan. Right. So quite a bit of a difference. Now, are they're the same lenders that are doing the residential as the commercial, or does it change a different lender altogether, a different bank that does the commercial? No, within the same bank, sometimes there are um, two arms of lending. There is commercial lending and residential lending and residential lending. You could send them the residential deals and then they get to a point where they say, sorry, we're not going to tackle this here. Let's send it to the commercial department. So in some banks, you've got both arms in other, with other lenders. There are lenders who are purely focused commercial and there are lenders who are purely focused residential. Perfect. Got it. Now, when you usually put an offer in, we, we as residential purchasers or investors will do like a five-day clause where we have the time to figure out the financing. What do you recommend for commercial? Commercial is uh, a lot more demanding. So in residential, we gather some basic information about you and the property. We send the deal in. The lender issues what's called a conditional approval. Okay, so you know that they approve the deal. Then you have a page of conditions where they say, okay, before closing, we want to confirm value. We want to confirm that you have down payment, blah, 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 blah. In commercial, they wouldn't issue this approval until you have sent every single piece of documentation on you as a borrower and on the property. So if you're buying a multi, leases, insurance, taxes, if, the, if you have month-to-month leases, uh, sorry, month-to-month leases require tenant acknowledgement, then every single piece of documentation on you as a borrower, your personal net worth, your tax returns, your credit report, uh, if you are self-employed, you know, you've got to show you, you've paid your taxes to CRA. Everything has to go in upfront along with the appraisal before risk actually puts the stamp on the deal and says, this is going to be, this is approved. Upfront, they can look at some quick numbers and issue something called the letter of interest. A letter of interest is just an expression to say, hey, we reviewed the numbers. We like this deal. Here is what we're willing to offer. But a letter of interest, a lot of investors mistake a letter of interest with an actual approval. So how many days you need? You need, I would suggest, for a financing condition, if you're doing it outside of CMHC, 45 days financing condition. If we are financing a deal with CMHC, as of last week, the turnaround with CMHC to review a file was 120 days to review a file, just to review it. Why so long? Because CMHC is a big player, a big insurance player in the multi-residential space, and it's capacity, I guess. It's just 
capacity operationally. So could could I, let's just say I found a multifamily property, could I go without CMHC and then when CMHC is ready, refinance it with CMHC? So most of the time, that's the case, actually. Most of the time, especially when you buy a multi-wear, let's say the rental income is below where it needs to be or the property condition is not that good. You typically need to go with some sort of temporary financing, whether it's conventional with 25% down or with a B lender initially, until you've improved the income and then we switch it to a long-term CMHC. So most of the time, Sarah, you're right. You would go with that stepping stone type of financing and then switch with CMHC. And if that's the case, I would still recommend 45 days because on a, on a commercial appraisal, it's three weeks to get a commercial appraisal done. To get a multi-residential appraisal done, you're looking at three weeks. And the lender will not start touching the documents for real approval until that appraisal is at hand. That's a, that's a long time, but it's really important that we know the stuff up front so that we don't get stuck in having to potentially use private funds and not have an exit strategy. So it is important to know the stuff going in ahead of time. And you mentioned sending in an appraiser. And I think you know that is important to even have as a discussion because you could be approved as a person, correct me if I'm wrong, but then the house condition is not so good you've got somebody coming in and saying, you know what, we don't like the foundation or we don't like this. And then all of a sudden, then what happens? Yes, the property is 50% of the approval. The property is 50% of the approval. So the having an appraisal at hand is really, really important, especially with commercial deals. And what, 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 what we typically do with commercial deals is we ask you as an investor to send us the income and expense statement up front. And then once I analyze it and my team analyze it, we are able to tell you, what your options are. Are you better off taking a conventional loan? Are you better off taking a private? How much mortgage does this property support going into the deal? Will you be able to exit the deal depending on your plans, let's say in 12 months from now? That's the analysis that we need to do upfront. And then if you like what you're hearing, we say, okay, now let's pull the trigger, order appraisal, gather all of the documents, get ready to send this big file over for approval. More paperwork. My my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> but you're so good with your paperwork. So you're so organized. No, I think it's because you have it all now. <laughs> you're so organized. Yeah. So, oh man, that's the one thing that scares me is all this paperwork. But that's, this is this is one of the reasons working with a mortgage broker just makes sense. I mean, among many, many reasons. It's like, you have all my documents. Yes. I'm like, does this work? And then I don't have to start with documentation again. A huge benefit for people that don't like figuring out their whole paperwork stuff again. But uh, so you get a lot of investors that, that obviously are working with you and looking at different areas. What areas are you seeing a lot of investors interested in? And what is your recommendation right now on, on that market in Ontario specifically? Okay, so interestingly speaking on that topic, um, we uh, have started working with a top real estate researcher about uh, six months ago. And she has studied the Ontario market for us to say, okay, what are the markets that are still going to do well from a growth standpoint based on macro and microeconomics? But most importantly, on top of that filter, what are these markets that where the prices still make sense for the rents that you're getting? So she and us have identified about 10 to 11 markets. And that's actually where we're seeing a lot of activity right now from investors because we do business all over Ontario and I see all of the deals come through. So it's very consistent with the research. So on that list, what we're seeing is uh, Brantford, Brantford with a T. Um, <laughs> you got into Brantford really early and you were ahead of that trend. So that's amazing. Brantford with a T, uh, London, Ontario, uh, Hamilton, Durham Region, Ajax Pickering, uh, Whitby, Barrie, Kingston. What else is on the list? Uh, Windsor, there are certain pockets in Windsor that are actually doing well. Uh, there are three more. Oh, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, of course. And there are two more areas, Peterborough, Peterborough, and there is one more. I can't remember the last one now. But these are the markets where we see a lot of activity from investors. But what I can tell you is some markets are not just a turnkey type of market where you're going to go and buy a property and rent it and be in the positive. So a Hamilton market, for example, is a market where we're seeing a lot of bursts. Uh, similar to Durham region, we're seeing a lot of bursts. Okay? In Brantford, we see a combination of bursts and buy and hold. Cambridge, same thing. You know, 
because again, the price, what price are you paying for the rents you're getting? And are you able to be, are you going to be in the positive using a line of credit, let's say for down payment, or do you do, you need to do something to the property? But these are generally the markets where we we're seeing a lot of activity and there are still a lot of great things happening. Yeah. You know, one of the things I really like is you sent me this awesome report about Brantford and all of the fundamentals and a lot of the, the stuff that I look for when I look at an investment town. Is that something that you do for, for investors as well that work with you? Yes, we do. We, we share this research with uh, exclusively with clients who work with us. And sometimes we get clients who say, Dahlia, what trends are you seeing on your end? And we're able to share factual data-based research about these particular markets. There are a lot of, there is a lot of content in that research beyond the fundamentals, because we also talk about what strategies work, what the prices look like, what the trends look like. So yes, we do, we do share, share that research with clients. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. That's great. Yeah, I know. It was very thorough. Like it was like pages and pages and stuff about Brantford. And, and I think I saw one on St. Catharines that you also sent me. Oh, well. St. Catharines is the market that I, uh, I, I was missing. Yes. St. Catharines is on the list, of course. Yes. Yes. Awesome. So, you know, anybody that wants to work with you, that's a huge asset because a lot of the time people don't know where to even start, right? What is a good market and for what strategy? And you, and you said that really well, because not every market is suitable for every single strategy. And some of it like, for example, I don't know, Airbnb, if you want to do something, and, and I know banks don't like Airbnb, I'm just using that as an example, but it may not work in certain markets or the birth strategy, like it works in some markets and depending on some other markets, like if you're in a market where there's not a whole lot going on, yeah. you might not get the, uh, the increase that you need perhaps versus like a Hamilton or something like that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it's, it, we got a lot of great feedback about that research from clients because we're also able we see beneath the surface, right? So we see what resources the investor has. We see what their borrowing power is. And then if they're looking for guidance on what to buy, where to buy, then that research comes in handy because then we're able to marry strategy with financing in many, in many cases. So a lot of investors found it very useful in guiding their direction. That's great. Now, I know that when we first met, one of the first things you you sent over was this, all these papers I filled out. They were good papers, though. They were like a goals analysis paper. So I originally, I think you know the story, but I originally thought I needed 10 properties. And you're like, no, no, Sarah, you need 29. (laughs) It was based on the income that I wanted. It just made more sense. And you broke it down. Can you just do a quick overview of like, if somebody wants to figure out how many they need to get to be able to retire or how that whole breakdown works? And then I know you're, you also offer to do that for, for people as well and for the listeners, but yes. So it's the, the, so the general framework of this process, which is what we use with all clients is to first of all, understand what your goal is. Are you looking to build a portfolio to 
generate a certain amount of cash by a certain point in time? Is it a pension-like portfolio? You have time on your hand to retire or do you actually want to quit your job? Don't tell that to the banks. Uh, <laughs> or you want to supplement your income. So what is, what is the cash flow number that we're working with? Okay. And then from there we say, okay, how many properties do you really need to get to that cash flow? And the general theory is if you have a property that is generating, let's say a thousand dollars for you. And by the time the mortgage pays itself down on that property, as an investor, you can net about 70% because 30% will still go towards expenses. So we say, okay, if you want to generate $5,000, what portfolio do you need to build to get that $5,000? So let's work on building that portfolio. Now we know your finances. We know where the money's going to come from. We know what you're going to qualify for. So we mirror what financing would look like for these number of properties. And then at some point in time, we have to talk about mortgage pay down and how are we going to actually, you know, get boost that cash flow up to get you to where you want to be. It's, it's, so that's what the process encompasses. It starts with the goal and then it breaks it down to properties. In that process, we share what we see on our end as brokers when it comes to numbers, markets, strategies, because that's the cool thing about what I do. I get to see everything from top to bottom, not just strategies, from strategy to, you know, the dollar financing. So it's, so we share that with a lot of our clients as, as value add in the process. And, and then that's, that's basically what helps them take the right action and optimize their resources. So that's the goal. That's the goals-based financing methodology that we've developed over time and we still use to today. Yeah, no, I think it's really good. And I also like your, your concept of having like a nest egg and then an accelerator strategy to, to be able to get to your goal also a little bit faster. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So the nest egg on that point, the nest egg is the portfolio you're going to own 100% off that you're going to keep. The accelerator strategy for, for the audience is our strategies that are going to help you uh, accelerate the mortgage pay down on that portfolio. So you don't have to wait for too long before you hit your goals. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. And I would say if somebody is listening and hasn't reached out to Dahlia, I mean, it doesn't cost anybody any money because I think you get, you get paid, you get comp the majority of the time by the lenders. And then the other times you'll just be upfront. When you've told me before, we don't work with this lender, but you know, this is the best option for you. And I really like that. You'll still recommend lenders that don't necessarily work with, with mortgage brokers, if that's in our best interest. So I just also want to point that out. Yeah. Yeah, we get compensated by the lenders. There are a few cases where we don't, and we always disclose to the client when that's the case, it's never a surprise. Perfect. So I can keep talking to you forever because I have like tons of questions and I probably have tons of personal questions I want to ask you about some deals. I know you're analyzing for me too, but the next part of this podcast is our lightning rounds. I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? The one that's always been my favorite and still my favorite is the one by Don Campbell about the uh, acre. I don't know the title of the book, but it's, I know it's by Don Campbell, who used to be the president of the Real Estate Investment Network. Yeah, I think it is called Acre Something as well. Yeah. Like it's, one that, it's, on, it's on my bookshelf. I just, I'm, not at, I'm in the cottage right now. <laughs> yeah. Number two, what is your favorite podcast? I love your podcast. And I'm not saying this because you're my client, but I truly love your podcast because it is practical and it brings um, information that is digestible to the audience. So I listen to your podcast as much as I know a lot of the things you talk about. I do listen to your podcast and I love it. Uh, That's in the real estate space. In another space, my favorite podcast is called The Billionaire Code. The Billionaire Code is is a podcast for entrepreneurs who are looking to scale their business. So that's the second podcast that I listen to. And then the third podcast is by a gentleman. His name is Vaishan Lekhani. He's the founder of Mind Valley. And that podcast is about how you as an individual grow holistically on, on different dimensions. So not real estate related, but these are my top three podcasts. That's awesome. I'll have to check those two out. I've, uh, I haven't heard of them yet, but they sound really interesting. Yeah. Question number three, what, what is your favorite pastime? What do you do for fun when it's not real estate or financing or mortgages or any of that? I actually uh, love walking my dog. So I, I go for long walks in nature with my dog and I really, really enjoy Latin music. So I listen to a lot of Latin music. I like to dance to Latin music. I like salsa classes. I would say these are the top two things that I do for fun. 
Excellent. And, and then I play some sports. Oh, yeah? What sports? Soccer. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I play uh, midfield and forward. Ah, nice. Very nice. Number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? How would I start again? Well, first of all, what I learned over time is we all go through cycles. We go through all, we all go through ups and downs. Okay. It's never up, 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 up. And it's never down, 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 down either. Okay. So we always go through ups and downs. So you go through your up. If you go through your down and you lose what you have, you still have your knowledge. You still have your intentions. You still have your energy. And if you put your mind to it, you'll still rebuild it again. That's what I believe in. So for me, if, if I lose something, as long as it's not my health and it's not my loved ones, it's replaceable. Yeah. Great. Great answer. Thank you. Number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? $50,000 and they want to get started in real estate? Yeah. If this is their only $50,000, I would suggest that they consider a burst strategy because if you have only a limited amount of capital and you want to push it to the maximum, okay, then we get maybe an unsecured line of credit to fund the renovations, keep this down payment for the purchase, focus on an area that the strategy works in and hopefully you would qualify for. And then, yes, there's some learning curve, but that would be the best use in my view of that money because then you've made it work really, really, really hard for you in an asset and you can take it to the next next deal versus just, you know, go buy a house and wait for the market. Right. To move that, can, that, that can take a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Possibly if you, if you bought not below market. Yeah. But the best use is for, for the $50,000 in my view is to put it in real estate. Yeah, absolutely. I agree too. And I do agree with the birth strategy. I mean, that's the best way to recycle. And you know, if you can refinance it in a year, a year and a half, I mean, that's, that's how you help me scale. So thanks yes, for that. That's, well, you, you are the role model of that, of, of how you've recycled equity through renovations to take it to, to the next level. It works. It's not theory. It, it works for sure. And it's, and it still works. The numbers look a little different than maybe they did three, four years ago, but they still work. all relative. Right? You're just starting higher, but you're going to finish higher too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Good. So Dahlia, where can our listeners find you if they wanted to reach out, know more about you and, uh, and speak to you about the goals analysis, but also that report? So our website, www.streetwisemortgages.com has a contact form. Our, the listeners can fill in the contact form. We get notified, myself and my team. I have a really amazing team as well. So whether myself or somebody else on my team reaches out, we're all trained to service investors and we work with the same methodology. So fill in that contact form or email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. But if you want to get hold of any of us directly by phone, go to the about us on our website and all of our phone numbers are there. So if you want a quick answer, just call me or text me. Perfect. Okay. And last question, any final words of advice for the listeners? For listeners, I would say, don't get discouraged because of financing. Please don't. Okay. We all want things to be done with the least paperwork, done quickly, including myself. Okay. Including myself. But we are now at a new norm in the lending environment. It's the reality. So we all have to adjust Complaining about paperwork doesn't change it. Not doing it doesn't change it. What could change is your mindset towards the new lending environment, okay? Yes, I'm going to do the extra paperwork. Yes, I want to reach my goals and I will go through the process. Yes, I am going to expect some challenges, but if I really want to go after that goal, I will overcome these challenges. So I encourage investors just to take a step back and focus on your goal and do what it takes to get to your goal. Yes, things are challenging and more difficult, but we're here to help you, okay? And we're here, try, we're here to help you make it as smooth and as easy as possible. But don't let it discourage you because some investors go, oh my God, I have to do all of this paperwork. I have to do this. this. <laughs> and then what? A year later, they're still sitting at the same spot. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, having somebody like you on their team is, uh, is a huge help because a lot of the time, they may not realize that, a lot of the assistance and work is done by having the right people on the team and they just have to make sure that who's on the team is the smartest 
possible person like you or, you know, we've got great accountants and I am not the smartest on my team, but I do it because you guys know what you're doing. So thank you for being there and throughout the years as well. And thank you for being on the show for your second time and providing so much valuable insight and knowledge. My pleasure, Sarah. It's always a pleasure. And if anyone has a question, we're happy to help. And um, I know everyone's situation is unique. So please uh, feel free to reach out. Whether you are starting out as an investor or have a large portfolio, it doesn't matter. Okay. It doesn't matter. I work with investors who are starting out. I, I work with investors sometimes who come to us and say, Dahlia, I want to build a portfolio, but I'm not ready. Fine. Let's have a conversation. Let's plan for it. At least you have clarity on how you're going to move forward. So I just want to encourage everyone to reach out. If they have questions, we're here to help and help you, help you become successful. Well, on that note, Dahlia, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for watching and listening. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons. And at the time, they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away. And eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.